Take your Bibles out to Genesis 8. We'll be there in just a moment. We're in this series of messages called In the Beginnings. Uh, I won't make you raise your hand, but anybody here at one of those places where you're in a beginning or you're needing a beginning or you're wanting a beginning, um, we, as we've taken this and, you know, I, I generally pe- preach through books of the Bible or passages of Scripture expositionally, meaning we just go to the Word, see what the Word says. And most of the time when I do that and as we um, spend our, our years together here, you will find that, you know, I can just kind of hang out in one place a long time because there's so much in the Word of God. Um, but... Uh, in this series of, of looking through the lens of the God of beginnings, we've been focusing on just one message from each of these first 12 chapters. And so we're in chapter 8. This is our eighth message in this series, and you can do the math. That means we have 9, 10, 11, and 12 after this week. And uh, um, think about what we've looked at so far in the previous seven messages, creation, man, the fall, calling on the name of the Lord, the created order, an invitation to life, and then last week or last time, uh, surviving the flood. And so God has put Noah in the ark. And you remember that we said that that word that's translated for us, ark, it literally means a casket. And you think about that that vessel, I don't even call it a boat because, I mean, it's not designed to be steered. It has no sail. It has no engine. It literally was get in here and die. Die to your way. And God puts Noah in the ark so that he can bring him through. I don't know where God has brought you, but I understand that God has put you where you are to bring you through somebody. And so the question is, if you know God is bringing you through, that means a beginning is coming. And so how do we begin again? Some of you are here today and you're like, okay, God, I know you brought me here, but what's going on? And if you're like me, you know, you're like, I just want to plan. I just want to know what's going on. And sometimes God says, no, it's just a casket. Get in there and die to yourself and I'll bring you through. So how do we begin again? And how we begin again is connected to what we know and what we believe about God. I'll say that again just to make sure you got it. How we begin again is based on what we know and what we believe about God. So I don't know what you're facing today. But we have to remember that, that God called Noah into his plan. He didn't come to Noah and said, hey, I wonder what we should do. He called Noah into his plan. And the interesting thing, I've said this already, and it's always struck me about the story of Noah, is that God tells him what he's going to do in chapter 6. And then we really don't know anything about the 120 years. Other than Noah did everything the Lord told him to do. Hard stop. He obeyed God. He raised a family. 
He built an ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. Those are the things we know. And then in chapter 7, they got into the ark and the rain came. And if I'm going back and kind of bringing us into it, verse 11 says that all the sources of chapter 7, all the sources of the watery depths opened and the floodgates of the sky were opened and the rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights. Let me just say this here. I'm going to step out of my notes and say this. How in the world could the whole earth be flooded because God has sources you don't know about? And so it says that all the sources opened up. Listen, First Baptist Ferguson, God's got sources we don't know about. <laughs> you just write that down, pray about that for a couple of days. And then verse 24 says that the water surged on the earth for 150 days. So we got 120 years. We got 40 days and nights of rain. We got 150 days then of surging water. Stuck in that ark with who knows how many animals. Imagine that aroma. You ever feel stuck in the plan of God? In the middle of the ocean? And no way out? Now before we read chapter 8, let me set the stage. I'm not a scientist, nor an expert on these things, but I believe this account as it's recorded for us. Because God said it, he inspired it to men to write it, Jesus believed it, the apostles believed it, so I do too. Now with that said, there are great scientific Christian writers. And you can read them and you can get more of sort of the scientific explanations. I recommend the the Genesis record by Henry Morris. It's beautiful at explaining what we believe the Bible teaches about the world before the flood, after the flood. He puts science in his commentary and it is a deep and profound read. Scientists like uh, Morris teach that, that the world changed dramatically after the flood. They observed that it was a complete change of environment and atmosphere, and the earth was different than it was before. Let me give you a, a peek into it in Psalm 104. My soul bless the Lord. My God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy, laying the beams of his palace on the waters above, making the clouds his chariot, walking on the wings of the wind, and making the winds his messengers, flames of his fire his servants. He established the earth on its foundations, and it will never be shaken. You, look at this, covered it with the deep as if it were a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, the water fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the place that you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross, and they will never cover the earth again. It's interesting as we're reading that out loud and we're hearing it raining outside. Think about those last four verses and imagine 
the violent things that happened in the midst of this storm and flood. Subaqueous and subterranean volcanic eruptions. Mountains created, valleys cut, canyons carved, fossils created, sediment crushed. I remember Lisa and I in 2003, we actually, we convention was in Phoenix and us and the Youngs, their youngest had just been born and we drove to the Grand Canyon from here. Got there in two days. And along the way, we stopped at the Painted Desert. And I remember they showed us this video beforehand about how this could all happen. And interestingly, it said in the video that the only way this could have happened is if there had been a large regional flood. Well, they were close. It's interesting, you, you get to this place. We, two weeks ago, we were across the street, and, and um, I just now, in this moment, realized that my Bible, normally my text I don't have up here, but my, uh, my Bible, hang on, is sitting in my office. So let me digitally pull up my Bible. Go to chapter 8. And let's read chapter 8 together. Give me a moment to catch up with you because you're already there. God remembered Noah. As well as all the wildlife, all the livestock that were with him in the ark, God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the water began to subdue or subside. The sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed, closed and the rain from the sky stopped. The water steadily receded from the earth And by the end of 150 days, the water had decreased significantly. The ark came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. The water continued to recede until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent out a raven, and it went back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. And then he sent out a dove to see whether the water on the earth's surface had gone down, but the dove found no resting place for its foot. It returned to him in the ark because water covered the surface of the whole earth. He reached out and brought it into the ark to himself. So Noah waited seven more days and sent out the dove from the ark again. When the dove came to him at evening, there was a plucked olive leaf in its beak. So Noah knew that the water on the earth's surface had gone down. After he waited another seven days, he sent out the dove and it did not return to him again. Why? Because doves land on the ground. In the 601st year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the water that had covered the earth was dried up. Then Noah removed the ark's cover and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was dry. Then God spoke to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out all the living creatures that are with you, birds and livestock, those that crawl on the earth, and they will spread over the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went along with his sons, his wife, his sons' wives, came out. All the animals, all the creatures that crawl, all the flying creatures, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark by their families. 
Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward, and I will never again strike down every living creature or living thing as I have done, as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will not cease. Particularly notice the first four verses. There's so much that we could look at here. But it says God remembered Noah. It says God caused a wind to pass over the earth. It says the ark came to rest in the seventh month on the 17th day on the mountains of Ararat. So go with me on a journey for a minute. And I will tell you this, that as we do this, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tread over and over the same theme and hopefully drive it home with you. Three sections for my thoughts. The first one is this, write down number one, truth to communicate. Three important truths in these first four verses. Here's the first one. Write this down. God knows. Can you say those two words? God knows. God remembered Noah. God knows. You understand me? God knows. You're wondering if God knows. I want you to know God knows. I could hardly get past this verse. God remembered Noah. You've probably never been there, just me. Saying, God, do you even remember me? You ever felt like you've been forgotten? 120 years of building and preaching and months in the ark in a floating casket, completely in the hands of God. They couldn't sail, they couldn't steer. They could only trust the hand of God. God knows. God has not forgotten you. Stay here for a minute. As I read what we call the Bible, which is the story of God that he's revealing to us, and God building a people to love... And God sees everything, understand this, God sees everything completed. A thousand years is like a day, and it seems long to us, right? My Bible tells me that God measures the universe with the span of his hand. This world seems big to us, but for God it's but a dot on his finger. And I read this story again and again, and this truth comes out. God knows. God remembers. Think about it. Abraham thought he'd missed his chance, and God took him outside the tent and said, look at the stars if you can count them. That's what I'm going to do. Rachel was loved by Jacob, but she couldn't have children and wondered where God was. Hannah, too, couldn't have a child and sought the Lord year after year after year. Zechariah, Elizabeth, faithfully serving the Lord, but their prayers for children seemed unanswered. But God remembered Rachel in Genesis 30, 22. He remembered Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, 19. In Luke 1, 13, Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said, Your prayers have been heard. 
Joseph sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned, and God remembered Joseph. Israel was 400 years in Egypt, but in Exodus 2.24, it says God heard and God remembered. He told Moses in Exodus 3, 7 and 8, I have seen, I have heard, I know, and I have come down. Psalm 136, 23 says, He remembered us in our humiliation. His faithful love endures forever. They were taken to Babylon because of their own sin in captivity. Israel had literally, as singers, had hung their harps in the trees. We're not writing any more songs. Daniel was praying and fasting there in captivity. And in Daniel 10, verse 10, it had been 70 years. And he says, says, suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. And he, that angel, said to Daniel, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. And after he said this, Daniel says, I stood trembling. And he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. For from the first day, listen, from the first day that you propose to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers have been heard. And I have come. Oh. God remembers his promises. Great is your faithful. And he brought them home. Think about in your life, in your experience, compared to these, what might have happened but for God's memory? But for God's knowledge, but for God's power, what might have happened? Remember in Genesis 6.18, he told Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. God made a promise to save Noah and his family, and God never speaks hastily. God never speaks frivolously. God is always clear and trustworthy. That idea of God remembering does not mean that God forgets. That's not what it means. It just means that at times God pauses in our understanding. His work seems to hit the pause button. But he is always at work. He is always working on the promise. So write down the second thing underneath number one is that God works. Notice the working of God. God caused a wind to pass over the earth. God works. By the way, God was at work all along. John 5, 17, Jesus says, My Father is still working and I am working also. You should know that God was working in the rain. God was working saving Noah in the ark. God was always working. And now the storm has stopped. And yet that's been four months ago. And it says, then 
the wind. Like the rushing of a mighty wind. Wind. Another word that will translate that word wind is breath. The presence of wind in Scripture always brings the image of the Spirit. All the way back to Genesis 1-2 when the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. When creation began. Now, I'm certain that this was really wind. It's not just a symbol. It's like the same wind that we're told that God blew all night long parting the Red Sea. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It caused that to open up and caused the ground to dry so that the people could go across. And then that same wind stopped and allowed the water to come back and take care of their enemies. It's the same wind that was the Holy Spirit blowing in the upper room in Acts 2. And yet even in every natural action, the hand of God is at work. Colossians 1, 15 to 17 says he created all things and he holds all things together. You should know that he is in the gentle zephyr, but he's also in the turbulent tornado and the harrowing hurricane. And the wind blew in the working of God and the waters began to recede. And verse 2 says that the sources of the water depths and the sky. Remember we talked about those sources. The sources closed. The same sources that God opened to allow the flood, God closed to allow it to recede. Why? Because God's in charge. And God is working. And those scientists who are Christians tell us that they believe that before the floods, there was a, a dense water vapor in the atmosphere creating what would have been a global climate. And that when God opened the floodgates, guess what? Everything changed. And the depths were opened. And God was working. And there would have been violent waters and waves. And there would have been magma that would have rumbled in those uh, subaqueous eruptions. Mountains would have been created in what seemed like a moment under the floodwaters. Now, don't miss that. You can get that in a minute. Imagine the violence in the working of God. And the ark of God's mercy, they are riding over it. God knows, God works. Write this down, God finishes. The ark came to rest. The storm surged. We just sang that. God rested the ark. We already know that when God finished creation, what did he do? He rested. And so remember that the the ark is a type, it's a picture of Christ. So I find it interesting that it says right there specifically so many dates. It says in the seventh month, on the 17th day, the ark rested. Why would God tell us the exact day and the exact month? Well, in the civil calendar, the seventh month is the same as the religious calendar, the second month for Israel. So Henry Morris points out that this 17th day is the same day that Jesus rose from the grave. The ark rested. Jesus 
rose. Salvation's work was completed on the same day. What a celebration. What an anticipation. Let that sink in. And then I read somewhere else that the ark, you know, it came to rest on the range of mountains called Ararat. Now, there were mountains on the earth before the flood, but Ararat, if you visited there, you would find that Ararat is made from what they call pillow lava. That means that lava formed in the deep waters. Ararat was a sediment-built mountain, and it has ocean fossils on it. Do you see that? Listen to this. While the storm raged and the floodwaters surged, God was creating the place where the ark would come to rest. As the waters receded and the mountains rose and the ark came to rest, can I just tell you today that perhaps whatever you are facing, whatever the storm, God knows, God works, God finishes, and he's creating the place for you to rest. So, write down number two. Conclusions to make. God knows, God works, God finishes. What's the common denominator in those three phrases? God works, God knows, God finishes. What's the common denominator? God. All right, now you're with me. Write down God. Listen, it's God first, last, and always. Some of the greatest words in Scripture are the first words in John 3.16, for God. And, and, and he's before all things, and he's after all things, and he's in all things. He is eternal, he's self-existent, he's con- constant. Same yesterday, today, and forever. All things were mi- made by him and for him. God is the who, God is the what, God is the why, God is the when. He is the answer and the reality to explain everything. It is God, and so I say again and write it down again, God knows. I know we've already said that, but I'm saying it again because I want you to get it. God knew before what was coming, what was coming. God is never caught off guard. Do you understand? God has never made a surprised face. God has never gone, whoa, I didn't see that coming. God knows in the middle what is happening and how it will end. And God knows in the middle what is happening and is making a plan for the other side. So God knows, write down again, God remembers. God's silence does not mean that he has forgotten or that he has changed his mind. The promises he made are as good as the day he made them. You understand, Jesus was on the cross dying for the sins of the world, and yet he had time for the prayer of one single sinner beside him. 
that thief at his side, worthy of his own sentence, who had mocked Jesus moments before. And then he looks at Jesus with the eyes of faith in Luke 23, 42, and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because God remembers. And then write down, God responds. Remember, Jesus said in John 3 that he didn't come to condemn, he came to save. Luke 19.10 says he came to seek and to save those that are lost. 1 John 1.9 teaches that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. God remembered Noah. God works, God finishes, and God responds. But listen, it says God remembered Noah because, listen, God knows your name. I'll tell you this because it's just funny. We were playing softball the other night, and I was playing first base. And if you don't know, all of us have Ferguson on the back of our jerseys. I don't know if I told you guys this. We also have Ferguson where the name would be. And this guy got on first base, and he goes, are we related? (laughs) Not meaning the team. He meant he and I. Guy on the other team, I said, "Uh, I don't know. And he said, my name's Jed Ferguson. And I said, oh, we're, we're from First Baptist Church, Ferguson. I said, but if you love Jesus, we're related. God knows your name. God remembered Noah. God remembered Abraham and Rachel and Joseph and Israel and Hannah and Daniel and Zechariah, the thief on the cross. So I know the Lord remembers Jim Goforth. And the Lord remembers you. Say it, the Lord remembers me. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that cries and hears me when I call. Psalm 91.1 says, The one who lives under the protection of the Most High dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 4 to 6 says, He will cover you with his feathers and you will take refuge under his wings and his faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the terror of the night and the arrow that flies by day, the plague that stalks in the darkness or the pestilence that ravishes at noon. And then verse 14 says, Because he has his heart set on me, I will deliver him and I will protect him because he knows my name. That's God speaking. And when he calls out to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and give him honor. Yes, he knows my name and I know his name. So one other conclusion, God has a timetable and it is most likely different than yours. (laughs) Did you see all, as we read through chapter eight, all of those specific times All those details. Why? Because these are real historical events. These were, listen, appointments on God's calendar. We have an ordered God. We have a God who is eternal and yet he is outside of time. But God made time. And he made the sun and caused the earth to spin and to orbit the sun. And he made the evening and the morning. And he created times and seasons. And so God is always right on schedule. God is always right on time. Oh, we used to sing, he may not come when you want him, but he... Uh-huh. 
He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. And because of these truths, the last thing is this. There is a confidence to trust. Why? Because write this down. God is on the throne. The flood itself. To those who were opposed to God. Because every inclination of their heart was evil all the time. And God will not be mocked. So Psalm 93, 2 to 4 says, Your throne has been established from the beginning, and you are from eternity. The floods have lifted up. Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their pounding waves. Greater than the roar of a huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. He is on the throne. And we have said just now that he has a timetable. But it isn't just a plan that we hope works out. Write down, God has perfect timing. Might not be my time, might not be your time, but it will be the right time. Romans 5, 6 says, while we were still helpless, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 6, for every activity there is a right time and procedure. Even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Listen, God has the right time and he has the right way. And then it says in Ecclesiastes 7 and 8, no one knows what will happen. No one has authority over the wind or authority over the day of death. Well, no one but God. He has authority of the throne. He has knowledge. He has perfect timing. And so if God is silent... He will speak at the right time. If God is doing something else, it seems, well, don't worry because he has perfect timing for this. And the confidence is that right down thirdly that God has not forgotten. I know we keep saying this, but I'm trying to drive this home. Psalm 25, 7 says, in keeping with your faithful love, remember me because of your goodness. I love Psalm 56. David is very raw and real in there. And it says that, that God knows. You understand that God is taking note. That every tear you have shed, God has gathered those tears into a bottle. Do You understand, God has a book in his library with your name on it. And he has written down everything that you have gone through. Oh, one day I, I want to go into his library and find my book. And so in his silence, in his inactivity, write this down. God is not lazy. He is busy. He's working on the finish. He is patient. God is on time. God is making preparation for the finish. Again, I said it a minute ago, kind of gave you a little foreshadow. Mount Ararat, where ark came, uh, the ark came to rest, was created in the flood. In the surging storm, God formed the place that it would finish. Could it be that the storm that is surging all around you right now is forming the place where God is going to finish? 
been praying for 18 months this simple prayer. God, put us back in a city context. God, give us a voice in the discussions of our world, not knowing that God was bringing us back to Ferguson. What you thought was evil, God meant for good. So while you wait, write this down, trust and obey, pray and praise. Give you these things and we'll be done. Call out for salvation. A thief on the cross in the midst of the final and worst day of his life, he called out, remember me. See, God is our only hope for the day after tomorrow never comes. Cry out to our only Savior. Jeremiah 15, 15 says, You know, Lord, remember me and take note of me. Avenge me against my persecutors in your patience. Don't take me away. Know that I suffer disgrace for your honor. Pray for strength to serve one more time. That'd be a good prayer for today, for tomorrow. Lord, let me serve you one more time because you don't know what a day may bring. Samson, boy, he had great highs and he had great lows. And in the lowest of his time, God began to bring him out of that. Judges 16, 28 says he called out to the Lord and said, Lord God, remember me, strengthen me, Just once more. And Samson's last act was greater in the war against evil than everything he'd done before. What do you do? You trust God's timing. Job 14, 13 says, If only you would appoint a time for me and then remember me. You ever prayed that? Oh God, if you just had a plan. (laughs) And God's like... Gotcha. I know this. God does have an appointed time. And he will remember you if you will call out to him. And so you can trust God and you can trust his timing and you can trust his working and you can trust his finish. So while you're busy trusting, just praise him. Psalm 106 says, Hallelujah, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can declare the Lord's mighty acts or proclaim all of the praises due him? And verse 4 says, Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people, come to me with your salvation. Listen, God has not forgotten you. God is busy working. God will finish. And so I just came by today to tell you, you can begin again. Would you pray with me? You can begin again. And so that happens several ways. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then there is a beginning for you today. A beginning of life that is really life. And so the way you begin again is you come to the creator, the sovereign, the savior who died for your sin. And you pray something like this. I'm a sinner. 
forgive me of my sin. I believe you died for me and I receive you by faith as payment for my sin. That's where the beginning starts. Can you pray a prayer like that this morning? If you're a child of God, there's been a moment just like that in your life, but things have been rough for you. Maybe you got yourself outside of where God wanted you to be. Can you remember that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness? And can you just there say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm safely in your arms. I know I've given myself to you, but I've gotten away from where I need to be. And I rise to walk with you. That's where it begins again. Maybe God's been telling you to do something and you've just struggled with trusting that. Can you just begin by saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, I will do that. Yes, Lord, it it doesn't make sense to me, but I'll trust your timing. I don't think it'll be 120 years, but it may be a while. But can you just say, yes, Lord, and do what he told you to do? Do you know that he knows your name? Father, we give you this time, this moment. And we respond in an act of worship. That when we not only surrender and confess you as Lord, but when we walk with you as Lord, that's an act of worship. Because you are God and we are not. You are Savior and we are not. You are the creator of new things. And so as we worship, I pray that you would lift us into your appointments, into your plans, into your purposes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.